So we can, as I said, we continue our uh, series in Jeremiah today, and you all, we've already found out that he was a prophet sent by God, called to, to speak to the people living in Judah, to account and call them to account for their actions, telling them how they're falling short of God's will and way, challenging the religious leaders, the prophets, the kings on their moral foundation and their unrighteous actions that resulted from the ungodly foundation that they'd created. They were twisting God's word and manipulating it. We've heard how the people living in Jerusalem and the surrounding area needed to repent of their wrongdoing. They needed to stop manipulating God's law and manipulating people to their own ends. And it's a message that Jeremiah brought that was very clear. Change will be overrun by the kingdom from the north, by the Babylonians. Yet despite that clear warning, they continue to rebel against God. And it helpfully links with Matthew 7, which we heard today from, which from Matthew 7 is a passage which follows on from the Sermon on the Mount. That sermon, a lengthy sermon that Jesus gave about how uh, forming our moral and ethical foundations for the people that follow him, the expectation of what we should live to and what we should be like as we treat others and live his way. And Jesus' teaching in Matthew aligns very well with this passage and it develops Jeremiah's words uh, further and expands on them. And why Jesus tells us to love God above all else and to act with unselfish love towards other people, presenting our life to be refined and reshaped by him, by Jesus and by our Father, so that we might be better disciples and true to his word. But how do we tell if disciples and leaders are offering their all to Christ? And it says in Matthew, doesn't it, by the fruit we do or don't see in their lives. Are we able to see them being transformed from the inside out as Christ works in them to draw them ever closer to the Father? And that's something to consider, isn't it? And these passages interlink together. Um, And it talks about false hope. So, for example, have you ever received something you've ordered? You've looked at it online, you've ordered it, and it looks fantastic. And it's this great big new, for me, it would probably be a Lego model, huge great big thing. Or the salesperson said, this car is absolutely amazing. It's brilliant. You'll love it. But actually, it doesn't live up to the description. This Lego model or this thing that you thought was massive is actually tiny. How often do you look at a menu and see those huge, great, amazing burgers and think, that looks delicious? And then it comes out looking a bit skinnier than a a McDonald's Big Mac. (laughs) But sometimes we are given false hope by people and influences all around us, by salesmen, by images online, or by simply the McDonald's menu. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hope. False hope was just part of what God is concerned with for his followers. It's just an element of a much bigger uh, kind of narrative that comes across the whole of Jeremiah 23. Because that was what was generating the ungodliness throughout the land and as a result of Judah was not becoming a righteous nation. Verse 16, declaring, for example, that the people should not listen to the prophets because of the false hope that they are sharing and explains the how and the why they shouldn't listen to these prophets. Because the visions and words they were sharing came from their own minds and their own ruminations and thoughts and feelings and not directly from God. And each of the next few verses splits in two and it presents a reference to the prophets, do not follow them because, and then it refers to their actions and word and how they're having a negative impact. So it takes us through the why and the how of, of all that is going wrong. 
And these prophets and teachers were deceiving faithful believers and reinforcing the activities of those who were actively rebelling against God's teaching and law. So they were telling people who were rebelling, you'll be okay because of the temple still stands, because we live this way, you can still get away with that bit because you will have peace. In verse 18, we find a rhetorical question about who stood in the council of God, which one of these prophets has stood in God's presence and heard the words from him that they were sharing, asking who has listened and heard his voice. But only Jeremiah's voice was one that had heard from God. Only Jeremiah had listened and spent time seeking God's will and way and word. These prophets were speaking false truths, but claiming to be like Jeremiah. If we jump back to Matthew 7, they're the same type, these are the types of people it talks about who come in sheep's clothing, who are inwardly ferocious wolves looking to devour God's people. They're not seeking unity. They're not seeking to build up God's church. They are acting in selfish ways highlighting how we can recognise falsehood. But how do we recognise when someone twists what, how we recognise what someone does when they twist what God is saying versus an honest, genuine, different understanding or interpretation of what they read? How do we tell the difference between those two things? Especially when we are people who believe in the authority of scripture and how that has over the whole world and how that should, and that is a challenge to us to navigate Actually, how do we work out what can stand up for the truth while demonstrating an unselfish love towards our neighbour that Jesus speaks about in the Sermon on the Mount? In verse 19 and 20, God appears to have, been, have clearly had enough of these people, how, how, how they are behaving, of the way these false prophets are acting and the ways they're reinforcing rebellious activity against him. And then he goes on to sum up much of what he's all just said about them and to them reiterating that he did not send these prophets. He hasn't spoken to them, but they run with their message, prophesying to the people in inaccurate things that do not come from God. We hear how if they had stood in his council, so if they had spent time in, in his presence with him, seeking his will and what his instruction was, they would have been able to proclaim truth to the people. And the result would have been that the people and the leaders, these prophets, would have realised their evil ways and turned away from them and turned back to God. So a true prophet, leader or disciple is one who first stands in Yahweh's counsel, spends time in God's presence so that they can listen to God. They can look, they can look up and look around to see what is going on, see where he's at work already. Only then are they able to proclaim humbly and confidently what they've seen or heard God say or do, so that people might turn from their sinful ways and turn back to God. And as the passage goes on in verses 23 and 24, it speaks of <clears throat> who Yahweh is, the person of God, who is God. It highlights to the reader that God is both nearby and far off, giving the answer to a rhetorical question of, as actually, yes, God is everywhere. He is both nearby and many, many miles away at the same time. They affirm to us that no matter what we think or feel, God knows what's going on. There's no point in trying to hide from him because he can see everywhere all of the time. So we can't hide the good or the bad things from him because he sees them. He sees all of them. And he goes on to say, I have heard the prophet, what the prophets say. You prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. 
In these few verses, the narrative changes and it continues. And it goes into the first person as if God is speaking directly to the people that Jeremiah is addressing. As he questions why the people were doing what they're doing. Asking how long will they pretend to know him? How long will they lie and deceive other people? Now the people at that time would have known the Old Testament. They'd have known it as the Torah. They would have been, they would have been told stories. They would have read stories about how uh, and read and, and understood how God has used dreams as a legitimate way of divine revelation. Jacob, Joseph, Solomon and many others all had dreams. And in each of their dreams, God made himself known to them. And the accusations against these false prophets is that they are wrongly proclaiming that they have heard from God in a dream. They haven't. What they're sharing with other people are delusions of their own mind, interpretations of things that they are taking upon themselves completely, the words and instructions that they give with the intent of deceiving God's people. In the same way like the priests of Baal did earlier in the Old Testament in the past, they were there to deceive those that they were leading. Through what Jeremiah says in verse 28, let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream and let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. We're given clear instruction of what to do if we have a dream, vision or prophetic word from God. We should give it faithfully. We should weigh it, however, against God's word, against our knowledge found in the Bible. And the reference to straw and grain tells us that grain equates to the word of God something that should be kept and used to feed the people of God, something that we should spend time with, we should refine our understanding of. But straw is a waste product, something of little use to sustain people. Therefore, anything we believe to be from God must be weighed against the Bible. We must decide, and, and if through consideration or conversation with people that are scholars or people that know a bit more about the Bible or wise Christians, we must consult with them. And anything we believe must weigh against the Bible. We need to decide, is it food to help us build up the body of the church or a waste product that is thrown to the side at harvest? So how do we do that today? By receiving what God has said and sharing it humbly and openly so that it can be prayerfully considered and weighed against the Bible's teaching. And often God speaks through multiple ways when he's trying to get through to us. Ever had those moments where you think something is from God and then something happens again that links to that thing and then again and again and again. It's likely God speaking to us through the spirit, through other things and people around us. It highlights the connection again that we have with Matthew 7 how we can be, how we discern between falsehood and truth. It is by the fruit we see in a person's life, by the fruit we see in their discipleship, their leadership or their ministry. That's how we know whether it's a false or a true prophet, a false or a true teacher. And in the final few verses, God's judgment is given. And then on the verses to follow that we didn't hear, 33 to 40, follow on and give further clarity to that judgment. He is bestowing his judgment on his people making it ultra clear. He makes it so clear in this passage of what he is against and what is not right. God is against those who steal words from him or other people claiming that it comes from them. He's against those who lead his people astray, lead his people away from him, using words or actions that they declare are from him. God is against those who declare false dreams and use them to manipulate people for their own ends. 
So he is clear about false prophets. He is clear about how we should use his word and how we should use things that we think are from God. So what does it mean for us today in a world that has multiple platforms and places for people to give false witness and influence? We live in a world where truth is often seen as a personal thing. My truth is mine, yours is yours. There, aren't, there is a perception out there that there are no universal truths like we find in the Bible. Jeremiah 23, its message is that the people, of, the people that follow God should be righteous in their words and actions. They should be on guard against those amongst them who are giving fake news about God, misguiding and misdirecting people of God through clever lies and false prophecy and testimony. So actually, today in our world that we live in, which often seems so conflicted and confused about all kinds of things, in many ways is similar to the one in Jeremiah and I'm sure similar to other places throughout history. We have an advantage though, we have Jesus and the teaching we find in the Bible to help us navigate that confused and conflicted world. God is clear. We must measure all teaching, prophecy and our leaders' words against his words, all of them. That's the whole Bible. We can't just pick the bits that support our own perspective. We have to look at the whole of scripture, the whole of God's story when we interpret parts of scripture or things that people are saying. That means in a world of multiple influences competing for our attention and effort, we have a difficult decision to make. We have to speak truth when it might be tough. And we also have to love those who would rather cross over the road and avoid. That might mean stepping back sometimes and actually listening to what God is doing around us and saying to us through his word and through trusted advisors. Simple, isn't it? Amen. Take a moment, just take a moment to pray. Just consider exactly what I've said about actually the tough decision that it is to speak truth, to love a person that is to us unlovable. Just consider for a moment the false influences that we encounter. Consider how you're called to represent God's truth in the world. And most importantly, how you're making space to listen and seek guidance from God.